0: The Truth News Network. From sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth?
1: T-N-N. The Truth News Network.
0: And your anchor is
1: Dan Newman. No doubt about it, there are a lot of truth seekers, and there are far more truth-foe presenters. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's amazing when we're in this really serious time in American history how much bad information we get. I mean, we could can, we can turn to probably a hundred different sources You and I both could name about 100 different sources and look and read and what we get is eerily similar to what you're hearing at the other sources and none of it's the truth. I don't understand it. I really don't. It bothers me. It always has. As a matter of fact, that's the very reason why TruthNewsNet.org was created in the first place and then TNN Live two years ago. We couldn't find consistent, truthful information in the media sources we turn to. No different today. There's some blockbuster news out this morning. Where are we going to go? Well, first of all, let me back up. Hi there. (laughs) How are you doing? Hump day. Gosh, we've only got a week left in March. I mean, come on, man. How in the heck is this happening? This year is flying by at a record pace, at least mentally for me. Maybe it's just because I'm 68 years old. I I don't know. I don't understand it, but it's real. I just can't understand why everything seems to be flying by. I remember when I was a kid. I remember, literally, folks, sitting and pondering back in the, I guess, late 60s is when I first started thinking about a turn of the century, you know, getting into the 2000 thing my gosh how eerie was that but I remember the very first time when I figured out how old I would be when the century turned I was born in 1953 it's an easy fix my birthday's in July so that meant I was going to be 46 years old just before my 47th birthday OMG I was going to be ancient and now folks, when I look back at the turn of the century, it's like it was yesterday. But I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like I felt back then. I feel 68 years old. But things are good. I am glad I'm here with you. I'm glad you're here today. So let's get right to it. What are the really important things of the day? Well, of course, the Supreme Court hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. We've got those big news from there. We also have some blockbuster news from Europe. I know that'll probably surprise you. And then we have a few other things. Our president was caught. Remember yesterday, we talked about him meeting the day before with those CEOs of the big energy companies. In that meeting, he said something that just totally, blew my mind we're going to get into that we had a little um, electronic glitch here in the studio before we went on and we have really we have about four really good sound bites some really good conversations and they didn't load in our computer so what we're going to do we're going to go get them off of the computer they were they were put on originally i won't even go through the process but during our first commercial break we're going to try to grab them and get them up on our studio computer because I don't want you to miss those. Those are things that just follow along with the stories that I just told you about. One of the, one of the things that um, just really bothers me a lot, looking back at 2020, and why do we always feel like we have to go back to 2020? Well, we go back there because in 2020, at least the first month almost, we had a different president. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't until January 20th of 2020 that Joe Biden became our president. The three weeks before that, Donald Trump was still in office. All that being said, we need to go back still today and just kind of unpack some of the unknown things that hang out there still. We know things weren't just quite right. And we believe there was voter fraud and voter irregularity, not so much by the voters as by the people that ran elections then. I want to just tell you what's going on, what was discovered in Pennsylvania. You know, that was kind of the hotbed of where we first knew and realized something ain't right. There, Arizona, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, even Georgia, those were the states where things just didn't smell right. Well, guess what? What pops out in Pennsylvania They certified the 2020 election, did the governor there. And the certified results show that Joe Biden won in the state of Pennsylvania, won the presidential election. He got 80,555 more votes than did Donald Trump. But when the former Secretary of State, Kathy Bakvar, when she certified the vote November 24th in 2020, listen to this. This is what blows my mind. The state, Pennsylvania, had exactly 784,752 more ballots than they have voters in Pennsylvania. Think about that. I mean, it's not off. There's no voter fraud anywhere in the nation. you got to quit saying that. Yeah, we know there's a little bit here and there but there's never enough to change the results of elections. 784,752 more ballots that were counted and were certified. (laughs) That's nearly 10 times more than Biden's margin of victory in the election. Now we all know there are some legitimate reasons for overvotes. For example, a voter might mistake and Asked for a new ballot, made a mistake, but Pennsylvania law specifically says when the ballots, when they're counted, when they exceed the total number of persons who voted, and here's what the law says: "Quote, such excess shall be deemed a discrepancy and a palpable error, and shall be investigated by the return board, and no votes shall be recorded from such district." until such investigation shall be completed. Put it simply, overvotes can't be part of the counting process until after the completion of a full investigation. But they weren't investigated, at least not before the election was certified. The Pennsylvania Department of State did not respond to questions from any of the media yesterday when this story was first released, It's worth noting, governments, all of them, I would think they would not do it this way, but they do. They don't keep records forever. They have retention schedules that guide when to destroy documents because they got to make room for new ones. In Pennsylvania, as of September of this year, 2022, counties will be able to legally destroy all the paper ballots and documentation related to the 2022 election. That would and will end any chance of explaining election irregularities that have troubled so many voters and spurred many to rally at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. But we can't talk about this. We can't do it. We can't talk about January 6th. We can't talk about the election on November 3rd in 2020 in any way. If you do that, you put the two together, it's all part of the big lie. Now, folks, what we just told you is a really big deal. I mean, a really big deal. And um, something's got to be done about it. Now, I don't know what can be, but I'll be honest with you. Missing it, 784752 Missing that many fraudulent ballots, it couldn't have just accidentally happened. It couldn't have accidentally just been part of the process. It had to be manipulated. That means people. Well, you know, there are workers, many of them, volunteers. They're just doing this. We gave you specific investigated information and examples of massive voter fraud in Pennsylvania, I'll never forget this, one trucker that was in, uh, where were they? Where were they? I think he was in Massachusetts, and he testified in a hearing to this. That's how I know it. You heard it if you were back here at TNN Live then, back in 2020. He was hired to bring a truckload, eight wheeler truckload full of blank Pennsylvania mail-in ballots. Truck them in the middle of the night, election night, November 3rd, 2020, from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania. Why would they be doing that? That's what he was saying. Now it makes a little sense. The state had 784,752 more ballots than they had voters. And Biden won the state by 80,000. I wonder how many of those that were counted of the 784,752 were Trump votes. I I can tell you, none of them. They were all stacked for Joe Biden. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, just using a little tidbit of evidence. I don't think Joe Biden legally won the state of Pennsylvania. I don't think he legally won the state of Arizona or Wisconsin or Michigan. I believe those were all won and probably won in large fashion by Donald Trump. But those people on the left, all the heavyweights, and I'm not talking just about people in the Democrat Party that work for the Democrat Party or Democrats in uh, Pennsylvania is an example. I'm not talking about them, but I'm talking about leaders, leaders in the nation that aren't in politics directly. Mark Zuckerberg, $350 million. He and his wife put into local election offices in Wisconsin, in Michigan, and in Pennsylvania, supposedly to help them even to buy new election equipment. Think about that. And now several states have made that un- uh, unlawful. Can't do it. You can't give, you can't donate money to election offices and operations in any of these states that have passed that law enough of that. I just wanted to make sure you understood there was cheating, <laughs> pretty rampant. Almost, well, a little shy of a million more ballots than there are voters in in Pennsylvania were cast and counted and certified. So, what's the 900-pound gorilla in the room? It depends on which end of the spectrum you live in. It may be the Supreme Court hearings for Ketanji Brown Jackson that are underway. Or it could be, you know, that little bitty thing happening over there in, in Europe. Or maybe it's COVID-related. We have we have some stuff on both of that. But why don't we start here? And let me check. Let me check here and see if the file that I told you we were trying to get loaded. Nope, it's still not loaded. So I'm just going to go ahead. We're going to talk through these, these issues. So Katanji Brown-Jackson. I saw just maybe an hour of the confirmation hearings with her yesterday. She had a tough day. This was the first time she'd gotten any real serious questions about her record and her judicial philosophy. She came across during the introduction hearing on Monday as being really personable. I I watched it. I mean, she seems really likable. And she seems to be an accomplished attorney and a lawyer before that she's got a great family on tuesday though she was unable to satisfy the concerns that she harbors deeply radical political views and that she has a record of being too soft on sex offenders it just blows my mind when you pull that out of the context of her professional career why and i mean she really was as a judge very very soft on sex offenders when it came time for sentencing There were several key points from yesterday's hearing. Ted Cruz, he nailed Katanja Jackson on the 1619 Project, also on critical race theory, and her sentencing record about this sex offender sentencing. He honed in on uh, Judge Jackson's 2020 speech in which she praised the 1619 Project and critical race theory which declare that America was both founded on racism and remains systemically racist. She professed not to know that the central thesis of the 1619 Project, the false claim that the American Revolution was fought to defend slavery, which we all know it wasn't, it's been debunked. She also claimed she did not refer to critical race theory in her work as a judge. And of course, when she said that, Cruz produced A 2015 speech in which she said it was relevant to her work when she considered sentencing guidelines case by case. That certainly guided her later judicial work. Cruz also caught her in an embarrassing contradiction. She claimed that critical race theory wasn't taught in schools, but then was confronted with evidence that it was taught in the Georgetown private school on whose board she sits. What did she do? Well, she backtracked, saying she had only meant public schools. Last, Cruz produced charts showing her record on sentencing sex offenders was very weak. He debunked the White House claim that her remarks on child pornography had been taken out of context. Democrats tried to introduce evidence that her sentences looked better when probation was taken into account but doing that created new problems for themselves because it looked like the White House had fed them information that was being withheld from Republicans. 4,800 pages of documents that are directly related to her career as a lawyer, even before that, and then as a judge. The White House won't release them for the Republicans to to investigate. Why would they do that? Why? They're supposed to be, hey, we have three branches of government that are all supposed to be equal with the other two. We have the legislative branch, the branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. She's in the judicial branch of government right now. She wants to have a bigger job. So the White House decided to come on their own and grab 4,800 pages of documents regarding her professional career and hold them, seal them under executive privilege. That's the executive branch fiddling in the judiciary. They have no constitutional authority to do it. Wonder why. Senator John Corn Cornyn from Texas, while she tried to claim that she was opposed to judicial activism, honored the conservative doctrine of originalism, even claiming she didn't know what the liberal living constitution meant. She struggled to answer when Senator Cornyn asked about the limits of unenumerated rights in the constitution. That is precisely the point. Liberal judges are constantly inventing new definitions of rights. That's how they legislate from the bench is they say that the Constitution is not a sealed document, that it can be manipulated by opinion of judges regarding future cases and what the Constitution opened up and let be changed to fit the changing times. Lindsey Graham, one of the audio bites we had to play for you was Lindsey Graham. He went bonkers. went bonkers. Yesterday, In fact, he stormed out of the chamber at one point. He questioned Judge Jackson about her previous legal representation of those terror detainees down at Guantanamo after 9-11. While conceding that even terrorists had the right to a legal defense, he pointed out that many Guantanamo detainees had returned to battle when they were let go under the Obama and the Biden administration— Senator Durbin tried to rebut that point, but Graham rounded on him and made clear that Jackson's past remains a major problem. And then Senator Marshall Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, she showed that Judge Jackson is unwilling to state what a woman is. This one was really annoying to me. Most of Blackburn's line of questioning was aimed at showing that Jackson is not conservative. That was no surprise. But what was jarring was the fact that Jackson refused to give even a biological definition of a woman. At every other point in the hearing, she and her supporters talked about the fact that she is the first black woman to be nominated to the court. So clearly, woman has some meaning for her. It was a reminder of how radical left-wing jurisprudence on gender has become. She never answered the question. And then to wrap it up, Senator Josh Harley, a Republican from Missouri, questioned Jackson closely about her record on this sex offenders thing. Hawley's presentation was impressive simply because it was so thorough and undermined claims that he simply intended to smear her. Democrats were reduced to demonstrating, even to the point of justifying, lenient sentences for child pornography, which i got to be honest with you, it's a pretty bad place to be. That's kind of the oversight. Let's dig in for just a second to what Ted Cruz was after. He whipped out a whiteboard in the hearing yesterday, and he demonstrated how Supreme Court Justice nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson ruled in cases regarding child pornography. This is a really big deal, folks. We know that there is massive child trafficking and sex predators around the world and even in the United States. It's a big deal, and it's worth digging into. Here's what he said. Let's look at what the prosecutors are asking for. And I would note that this was in the D.C., District where prosecutors are far more liberal than many of the prosecutors in this country. And he's in front of his dry erase board. So in U.S. versus Hess, there was a statutory minimum of 60 months, and you imposed 60 months because you had no discretion. In U.S. versus Nickerson, there was a mutual agreement of the parties to 120 months, and that's what you imposed. In every other case... United States versus Chasen, the prosecutor asked for 78 to 97 months. You impose 28 months. And then Cruz just circled the number 28 with the red marker. He then broke down the math, explaining 28 months is a 64% reduction in sentencing timing. Then he pointed to several other cases in which Jackson imposed a sentence that was far less than what prosecutors sought. Some cases, she slashed sentencing by more than 80%. Every single case, Cruz said, 100% of them. When prosecutors came before you with child pornography cases, you sentenced the defenders to substantially below not just the guidelines, which are way higher, but what the prosecutor asked for, on average of these cases, 47.2%. Less. In U.S. versus Savage, Cruz claimed the government recommended 49 months, while guidelines recommended 57 months. The Washington Post reports the guidelines were 37 to 46 months, and the recommendation was 36 months. Jackson sentenced the defendant to 37 months. Do you believe the voice of the children is heard? when 100% of the time you're sentencing those in possession of child pornography to far below what the prosecutor is asking for? Yes, Senator, I do, Jackson replied. A couple of observations. One is that your chart does not include all of the factors that Congress has told judges to consider, including the probation officer's recommendation in these cases. But Judge Jackson We don't have those probation. The committee's not been given the probation officer's recommendation. We would welcome them. Of course, as I told you, 4,800 pages of her case records are being held by the White House. The second thing I would say, this is Jackson again, is that I take these cases very seriously as a mother, as someone who, as a judge, has to review the actual evidence in these cases and based on Congress's requirement, take into account not only the sentencing guidelines, not only the recommendations of the parties, but also things like the stories of the victims, also things like the natural circumstances of the offense and the history and characteristics of the defendant. Congress, she said, is the body that tells sentencing judges what they are supposed to look at. And Congress has said that a judge is not playing a numbers game. The judge is looking at all of these different factors, making a determination in every case based on a number of different considerations. And in every case, I did my duty to hold the defendants accountable in light of the evidence and information that was presented to me. In other words, she didn't really answer Cruz's questions. She certainly didn't clear it up, and she left the perception, and I still have it, that she is soft on child pornography and child pornographers. Jackson defended her record, saying yesterday in an exchange with Dick Durbin, Democrat senator from Illinois, that as a mother and a judge who has had to deal with these cases, I was thinking that nothing could be further from the truth. She reiterated that Congress determines how judges are supposed to sentence, and that judges must take into account several aspects of an offense before sentencing. She also noted how she gets testimony from victims, and includes that in her decision-making process. The statute says, calculate the guidelines, but also look at various aspects of this offense, and impose a sentence that is sufficient but not greater than necessary to promote the purpose of the punishment. So, this last section there, the whole top part, that's kind of background. This last paragraph, what she said, it proves to me she is not qualified to be Supreme Court Justice. I'll give it to you again. She said that the statute, she's talking about one statute, not the law, but one statute, says, quote, calculate the guidelines. The guidelines. Now, what are the guidelines? She said it over and over again. They're in the law, the various laws. She's a federal judge, so federal law. She's supposed to, as a judge, simply calculate the guidelines. But then she adds this every time she answers this question. But also look at various aspects of this offense and impose a sentence that is and back to the guidelines. Sufficient, but not greater than necessary to promote the purpose of punishment. So we're talking about child predators. We're talking about child pornography. We're talking about the biggest disease among a really reprehensible section of our society. The law is clear. Here's what defines the and the time in jail are for these various offenses, no different from any other legal action in a court of law. But she adds to what the statute actually says, being very tricky for those that are sitting around the dais in the Senate hearing room, and of course all the millions of people that are looking in via television, when she threw everything together and didn't parse out what the offense says, She added the other stuff to make it seem like, hey, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. There's some other stuff going on. Georgetown Day School. That's a private, very upscale, very expensive private school, pre-K through 12. And she, Katanji Brown Jackson, sits on the board of trustees That school teaches radical critical theory pedagogy and boasts on it on its website saying everyone will engage in the work of social justice within all aspects of school life. Now, Judge Jackson would be required to support and promote that as a member of the board. She took questions from a bunch of Republicans that ask her questions about critical race theory. And, of course, Ted Cruz. He probed her on race essentialist materials being taught at Georgetown Day School, such as Anti-Racist Baby. However, teaching Anti-Racist Baby is not the only radical material they're pushing on kids at that school where she sits on the board. The school brags about its far-left curriculum, And they don't just talk about it, it's included in their 21-22, that's 2021-22 high school profile curricular highlights. In it, they showcase a course, for instance, about exploring reproductive justice. And a ninth grade seminar, flagship social justice course that serves as a launching point for a Georgetown day school, high school education. Here's an example. They hosted a speech in September election year 2020 by Dr. Dina Simmons. It was called Self-Care Healing and Equity Responsive Practices, which in it discussed opening the door for our continued anti-racist work. One of the teachers there led a talk at a conference in 2018 called Sticks and Stones, Exploring the N-Word in Our School Communities. They tout, the school does, on its website, that it is a proud recipient of the Leading Edge Award for Equity and Justice from the National Association of Independent Schools, which, as previously reported, is a central purveyor of race essentialist teaching materials for private schools across the country, folks. GDS, Georgetown Day School, has over a thousand students, has assets totaling roughly $288 million as of fiscal year 2020. And the headmaster is paid a million dollars annually as salary. That's according to the school's 990 form. Tuition of the school is between forty and fifty grand a year. School offers anti-racist resources on its website, including reading materials that are titled like "Growing Up a Black Man in America," "Why Our Souls on Fire," "Your Black Colleagues May Look Like They're Okay," "Chances Are They're Not." Maintaining professionalism in the age of Black Death is a lot white supremacy culture, and the end of policing. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. She sits on the board of that school, which means she approves everything that's in there. Now, when she gets in a hearing, she wants to put all of that to the side. I'm not involved. I don't work there. They asked me to serve on the board. I'm just serving on the board of directors. It was crazy when she wouldn't define the word woman. That one blew me away. There is no explanation, no plausible explanation. So let's stop with all the stuff that was said, and let's go all the way back, way before the beginning. Again, one of the audio sound bites that we had to play and we couldn't get loaded on our studio computer in time was a potpourri of what? George Biden says, George Biden, Joe Biden says was when he was campaigning and what he says today. Here's the bottom line that has so many conservatives in this nation and many Democrats and independents as well. The U.S. Supreme Court is the epitome of the legal world. Everything that is contested in courts across the nation, depending on the circumstances of each case has the possibility of ending up at the United States Supreme Court, which is the spot they have the final word. So it's a really big deal, a really big deal. And throughout history, as we look at who ends up on the United States Supreme Courts as every time a president nominates somebody, the only way that person can become a U.S. Supreme Court justice is by being confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Throughout history, almost with no exception, and if there is an exception, I don't know about it, the person that is nominated is considered to be one of, if not the most qualified people in the world, well, it has to be in the United States, but you know what I mean, the most qualified to serve and fill that post that has been vacated by a previous justice. That doesn't mean that it has to be a specific person of sex or color or standing in the nation. Do you realize that the person that is served on the United States Supreme Court The one that's nominated to take one of those roles doesn't even have to be a lawyer. Every one of them has been, but there's no requirement in the Constitution they be a lawyer. And if they are nominated by a president, confirmed by the Senate, they are going to be a U.S. Supreme Court justice. What Joe Biden has done is actually racist. This guy who has a plethora of of racial charges in his wake that were never charged to him or prosecuted, dozens of them, we have presented from his own mouth numerous instances of him being a racist. One of his best friends was a former leader in West Virginia of the Ku Klux Klan, talking about integration back when uh, they were integrating public schools. He said in a Senate hearing he did not want his kids being caught up in the education jungle. Okay. By his choosing a woman and a black woman, there's no way he would not consider anybody else. He told America multiple times, if I'm elected president and a Supreme Court justice spot opens up, I'm going to nominate a black woman. Do you realize that in doing that, he eliminated about 90% of the pool of people that would normally be considered for this post. So if he does follow through, if she becomes confirmed and becomes a Supreme Court justice, If that happens, she will be the first Supreme Court justice that was not nominated and confirmed for being the best possible person for that role. Why? Because of a racist president who based his opinion and who he nominated on racism. Folks, they're the left. They are the left. They are the ones that stand and point the finger at people that are conservatives that they don't even know. It doesn't matter if you're a conservative, if you support a conservative cause, if you, uh, if you have a bumper sticker for any Republican that's running for office. The only reason they give that you do that is because you are a racist. Why? Because you did it based on the color of skin. You're supporting a candidate that's a white candidate. You're a racist. And, oh, my gosh, don't support Donald Trump. Don't be one of those MAGA white supremacists because they want you obliterated from existence. Racism is okay as long as it's happening on the left. It's okay. Why is it okay? (laughs) Because it's happening on the left. And what they do, no matter how vile, No matter how wrong, if they choose to do it and they do it, it's because it's okay because of who they are. Seriously.
2: Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied. The flavor is decadent. The touch divine. And the drive... Yes, the drive of luxury is simply INFINITY. Introducing the INFINITY Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an INFINITY. INFINITY of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury. Not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your INFINITY and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley and yes all the luxury is on us introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other LuxuryTestTour.com Drive luxury Drive infinity Infinity of Elk Grove Expect more I love going all natural It just makes me feel better. (laughs) Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef
3: introducing the all natural burger the first ever in fast food with no antibiotics no added hormones and no steroids only at carl's jr when your cable company keeps you on hold you get angry when you get angry you go blow off steam when you go blow off steam accidents happen when accidents happen you get an eye patch when you get an eye patch people think you're tough when people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call one 800 Direct tv
0: This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. TruthNewsNet.org. And Dan Newman
1: truth that mama warned you about you're going to get the truth the truth is going to set you free well speaking about racism because of skin color what about racism because of gender well it can't be gender racism there's no such thing that would be sexism well turning point usa the founder and a conservative firebrand charlie kirk like him a lot He's been locked out of his Twitter account. Why did they do it? Well, listen to this. You know the name Richard Levine. Richard Levine is a man, and I'm wrong now because I called Richard Levine a man. Anyway, he was a man. He spent 54 years of his life as a man. This is Charlie Kirk who tweeted this. He had a wife. He had a family. He transitioned to being a woman in 2011. Then Joe Biden appointed Levine to be a four-star admiral. And now USA Today is named Rachel Levine as Woman of the Year. And then Charlie finished the tweet by saying this, where are the feminists? Hmm. So after his tweet, he was locked out of his Twitter account, informed he had violated the social media platform's rules against hateful conduct. Delete tweet, Twitter told Kirk in a message. You may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the base of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. So Kirk on another network said, Twitter just proved it doesn't believe in truth. It believes in narrative. It doesn't believe in science. It believes in ideology. It doesn't believe in biology. It believes in gender theories. They don't want the truth. They want submission. We cannot give them what they want. The Turning Point USA founder is not the only Twitter user to be locked out of his account for stating that a man is a male. Kirk's suspension comes after the Christian satire site, the Babylon Bee, was locked out of its account and told to delete a tweet featuring one article they wrote mocking USA Today for recently declaring the biological male Rachel Levine is Woman of the Year. The Babylon Bee has remained defiant for 24 hours after Twitter locked him out with the site CEO Seth Dillon saying, we're not deleting anything. Truth is not hate speech. If the cost of telling the truth is the loss of our Twitter account, then so be it. You know, every day when we hear things like this happen to other people, and when it happens to us, we just go nuts. We cannot understand it. We're actually being sent a message, folks. We're being sent a message. What message is it? If you don't have a whole lot of money or you do not support a company or a group of people that have a whole lot of money and because of their money have gained power and credibility, sufficient to be able to get big enough to get involved in a great way, in a bunch of different things, businesses, groups across the nation. If you're not in that pack or that mob, you have you have no rights to question any of those people that fall in number among those groups. Well, who anointed them to be the ones that would be that that could say that? There is nobody there are people that come in and line up with them people like the democrat party people like big big media legacy media they call it and even if you push out against it you're you're in most cases you're correct you're right in doing that but you're going to pay a price because those big companies and big community operations they control that narrative in large part in the legacy media, and it's become this, folks. Almost everybody's afraid to push back. Look what happened. Look what happened. Charlie Kirk. (laughs) And people say, you can't do that. That's a violation of the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is being able to say something about someone or say anything at all, even if it hurts them and it's legal. Well, Twitter's not public entity. It is a publicly owned company, but it is private. It's not part of the United States government. So by law, they can do whatever they want to do. They can censor, they can kick you off. They can do whatever they want to do on Twitter. And it's okay. One of those entities that I referred to that has more money and more power than does Charlie Kirk, at least on their website. We could go on and on and on and relate stories like that. Folks, it has to do with this. The groups that are in power, they're all in the tank for bigger government, total intrusion and control of every part of our lives. You can you can say that's not true. You can say, Dan, you've lost it. It is the truth, and let me give you an example. You've heard for years about a new world order that is coming, that's comprised of big, big corporations, wealthy people from all around the globe, politicians that have a lot of power. Some of them sit back and you don't see very much about them, but they're heavily invested in government around the world. People like George Soros. They want there to be a new world order that is run under one government, You've heard that forever. And every once in a while, there are little bits and pieces of evidence that slip out. But it's no longer a maybe. Why do we know that? Our president yesterday, as he was concluding a speech at the Business Roundtable's quarterly meeting in D.C. yesterday, excuse me, on Monday, he said something that, It set off alarm bells among conservatives around the U.S. Here's what he said, quote, You know we are at an inflection point, I believe, in the world economy, not just the world economy, in the world. It occurs every three or four generations, he said. As one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946, and since then, we've established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long time. A lot of people dying, but nowhere near the chaos, and now, he said, is a time when things are shifting. There's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it, and we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. Well, of course, naturally, when a U.S. president, particularly one who is obsessed with climate change, tells a group that we are at an inflection point and starts talking about a new world order, conservatives are going to be ruffled. That's because it sounds dangerously similar to Klaus Schwab's latest initiative, The Great Reset. Google that, The Great Reset. Schwab is founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. He has a radical plan to reset the global economy. And the ticket to do it is climate change. Doing that in the name of climate change. According to historian, conservative commentator, you've read him here, Victor Davis Hanson, a group of global elites including leaders of big tech companies like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg top government officials Hollywood power players and the like they've together determined that the world would be much better if economic decisions were made by a single central body in other words folks them this big group not one to let a crisis go to waste, Schwab chose the occasion of the pandemic when he introduced his vision to the world. In June of 2020, an article published on the WEF's website, Schwab outlined his aggressive agenda, saying this: Every country from the United States to China must participate in every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, he wrote, we need a great reset of capitalization, capitalism. He put the initiative into perspective in a two-minute clip. You'll be able to get it on our website later. (laughs) But rather than mentioning Schwab's very real dreams of a great reset, those on the left claim we've latched on to an anti-Semitic 1990s conspiracy theory that a secretive globalist authority is seeking to control the world under a totalitarian regime and strip sovereign countries and its citizens of their freedom. Now, I had heard about it, but I really didn't pay any attention to it back in the 90s, the late 90s. But it doesn't sound all that different from what the masters of the universe are openly discussing right now in Geneva. Schwab, of course... He uses different language to talk about the mission of his Great Reset. He doesn't talk about controlling the world or stripping people of their freedom. His version has been updated to prioritize environmentalism, diversity, and, of course, fairer outcomes. We may never know if Biden was sending a message on Monday. But from what we know about the Great Reset, his words were certainly unsettling. There's something afoot. And of course, listen folks, if they, whoever they are, if any entity controls the economy of every place on earth, they're going to have total control of everything. That's the way it works. Yeah, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But folks, if you don't have money, you really can't do the things that you want to do. I mean, that's that's just a fact. Um, they're talking about controlling the money. And, of course, they're the ones that are talking about it, so what do they automatically think? <laughs> We're the ones that would be the, the people that would control that. And everybody else would just have to sit And listen to us, we make the rules, we make all the decisions, we set up the infrastructure of everything, and of course, we'll control the money. And it'll be done through massive taxes on everybody around the globe. There'll be one central location of where this operates. It's been talked about for years. I have no idea if we really are headed in that direction. I think there are a lot of people that want us to go that way, but wanting to and making it happen, as you know, are two different very things. Very different. And uh, I don't think right now in the nation we have the mindset to allow this to happen. I mean, think about it. We wouldn't be just talking about government. We'd be talking about banking. We'd be talking about finance. How do you move money around? Will we still have banks? Will we be able to transfer money? Will we be able to get and go cash our paychecks? Or will we all be on cryptocurrency? And you and I both know it doesn't matter how you keep your money. In a bank, in your pocket, or in cryptocurrency, the government already knows what you have. We're just one step away from them, whoever this global government might be.
0: Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world. Real Truth. Real News. TNN.
3: The Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment.
1: My girlfriend has given me a pet name.
3: I'm afraid to ask.
1: Snuggle Muffin.
3: No, it isn't.
0: And she uses it in public.
3: Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky.
0: I couldn't do that.
3: I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. Oh, what are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky.
0: There's no problem a little horsepower
3: can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment.
2: Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh yeah, uh, the instructions say. The what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolutely. Stop m- reading that. What would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to TV for more.
0: Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: Hey, anybody who wants to join the show, toll-free, give us a jingle. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. You may want to comment on the next subject we're going to get into, and that is, of course, the invasion of Ukraine by the Russians and what's going on there. Some new, really bad information came up overnight. A woman who escaped from the decimated Ukrainian town of Irpin, which is on the outskirts of Kiev, has accused Russian soldiers of raping women and shooting innocent civilians. Her name is Anastasia Taran, 30-year-old from Innerhater, who was working as a waitress in Irpin prior to the Russian invasion. She has claimed that conditions in the Russian-occupied town are like hell and she said the invaders engaged in horrific treatment of locals. She said, Earpin is hell. There are plenty of Russian soldiers out there who would just shoot people who enter private homes and at best just kick people out of their homes. They rape women and the dead are just being dumped. It's the latest in a string of rape claims levied against the Kremlin troops by Ukrainian refugees and government officials alike since this whole thing began, with Ukraine's foreign ministry, Dmitry Kuliba, and opposition Lysha Vasylenko, both citing reports of Russians sexually abusing helpless civilians. This all happens as footage came out of a Russian soldier who appeared to be in possession of a stack of condoms as he was captured by the Ukraines. Located just 15 miles from the center of Kiev, the nation's capital, this little town of Irpin has been devastated by Russian bombing for weeks. Many of the town's residents have fled, but many more remain trapped after the town's bridges were blown up while dozens of other civilians were killed as they tried to escape. Anastasia, who is now located in the western city of Lviv, said she managed to escape Irpin with her husband, but they could only take their passports personal documents, and three cats. I'm afraid of silence because you are constantly expecting something bad to happen. I still dread going outside. I always look for shelter, she said. She explained that she was nearly caught up in a Russian mortar attack, which landed a mere 50 feet away from where civilians were running. Anastasia's claims that Russians had raped women and shot defenseless civilians Echo the accusations made by a resident of Kyrgyzstan, the first major city to be occupied by Putin's troops. It's in the south of Ukraine. Another woman, Svetlana Zarina, aged 27, she told a U.S. news agency this month that she had heard multiple accounts from personal contacts that young women were being raped on the streets of Kyrgyzstan. Meanwhile, Velisko. Ukrainian Minister Prime Minister Vasylenko, this morning, told journalists in a press briefing in the UK that there were reports of Russian troops on the outskirts of Kiev, sexually abusing senior citizens, who weren't able to flee, as Russian armor descended on their towns. Vasylenko is one of four female prime ministers, even special dispensation to leave Ukraine, by Volodymyr Zelensky in the middle of the con, of uh, the conflict, what's going on there. She got out. She said they were witnessing atrocities against the most vulnerable of the vulnerable before declaring, these women are usually the ones who are unable to get out. In other words, folks, I guess you expect this kind of stuff. Uh, war is an ugly thing. Thankfully, we've not had any war on U.S. soil during my lifetime. And I mean, I love it that way, but do you know what? That's very unusual. That is the exception of the rule around the world. It is very common for there to be war and conflicts of all time, all kind, uh, in many, many nations. We just don't have a firsthand understanding of what it cost the people that are caught up in these wars. And this one, fortunately for those people, and I mean, they're in a really bad place but at least the world is watching in real time and understands what Vladimir Putin is doing. We don't understand why I still can't figure it out in spite of what he claims. I just still can't figure it out. This can't be the end game for him taking Ukraine back. I just don't see how that would justify what he's doing. If he was going to take it, that would mean he wanted what's there. Well, He's destroying every day what's there. It looks like whenever this is all ended, whenever that happens, there won't be anything there for him to claim. He's blown it all up. I mean, infrastructure is destroyed. Multi-unit apartment complexes are just rubbled. Private businesses and homes destroyed. Schools, churches, hospitals. I mean, those are the infrastructure elements that every nation has got to have if they're going to be anything but a third world country. And he's taking all of that away. Something interesting popped out this morning. Russian troops in Ukraine, they're retreating. You heard about this in the one of the suburbs of Kiev. These Ukrainians went just crazy and they are taking that suburb, back. Ukraine's armed forces said Moscow's lost its offensive potential. Reinforcements were being called in from the depths of Russia to help them capture Makariv, a city located 37 miles from Kiev. Ukrainian forces have been fighting back in Makariv in order to prevent Russia from surrounding the capital. These Ukrainian armed forces claimed that Heroic actions of our defenders have forced Russian troops back, while a counterattack attack in the south has pushed Putin's forces in the direction of Michael Eve, a city near the Black Sea. And if you know anything about that part of the world, Black Sea is an inland sea, and it is critical for all those countries that are around that sea to be able to have access to it, because that's how they hit, get they get goods exported across the world. And remember, Ukraine exports a massive amount of food worldwide. Most of the wheat that's produced on the planet come from Russia or Ukraine, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. The Black Sea is critical in all of this. In an update we got just before we went live, Ukraine's armed forces said, having lost the offensive potential— the Russian occupying troops continue forming and deploying the reserves from the depths of the Russian Federation to the borders of Ukraine. There's an Ukrainian think tank. I didn't realize this. It's called the Center for Defense Strategies. They claim that Russian troops in one region left the area of operations in order to choose desertion to avoid death. In another region, that Russians had stolen cars, to drive towards the border with Belarus. It comes after the generals fighting in Kiev told everybody that Vladimir Putin's troops only have enough food, fuel, and ammunition for another three days of fighting while attacks on that besieged city of Mariupol were turned back and offenses elsewhere in the country are stalled. This is nothing like what Vladimir Putin planned. When he put this whole thing together. As we told weeks ago, three weeks ago, when it started, a plan of what he was going to do and how he was going to do it leaked out of his uh, his offices in Moscow. He actually thought he could do it in 18 hours. In other words, start the invasion, and Ukraine would just fold, would just hand it the whole nation to Russia. Boy, has he been surprised and the ukrainian people folks the fighters they're not going to quit they make it very clear from the from the top down they're going to stay in this to the end they are going to defeat vladimir putin all kind of speculation of what that would look like what changes would be made who would be involved nobody really knows but i can tell you this the world in europe will never be the same putin is sending a message He's sending a totalitarian message that Russia wants to be in control, and they plan to be in control. There's a big player that's involved in all this, very quietly behind the scenes, and who is that? It's China. China. China has doubled its import of LNG. That's liquefied natural gas from Russia from a year earlier. They've doubled it, folks, undermining China's proclaimed neutral stance in the Ukraine war. Beijing bought 401,000 tons of Russian LNG last month. I mean, think about it, 401,000 tons. Overall, China imported 12% less LNG last month compared to February of last year. Meanwhile, China imported a total of 12.67 million tons of crude oil from Russia in the first two months. China's continued energy purchases from Russia, they're providing some very important revenue for Moscow as its energy sector has become increasingly isolated after they were hit with sanctions. We're told that our president, who left for uh, Brussels, Belgium, today, that he's going to announce even more egregious sanctions against Vladimir Putin. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. You remember we talked about, we knew that in the Biden, the Hunter Biden debacle, that the former mayor of Moscow's wife gave $3.5 million to a investment firm that Hunter Biden initiated. He built it. And he's still involved in it, $3.5 million, to invest on her behalf. She is known as the most wealthy woman in Russia. And she is heavily in in, uh, connection with Vladimir Putin politically and personally. And she is what they call an oligarch, the most wealthy oligarch in Russia. Now, when all of the oligarchs and dozens of them have been sanctioned by the United States, you know, the big boats, the 500 million, the 200 million, the big yachts that have been grabbed, bank accounts grabbed around the world for all these oligarchs. She's the only oligarch that hasn't been sanctioned. Now, why do you think that would be? (laughs) Why would Joe Biden not do that? for her explicitly. Do you think there's a connection maybe? Do you think that in some way Joe Biden is obliged to her, Bacherina, and that he's giving her a free pass? Use your logic, folks. Use logic and come up with good conclusions. Don't just look at a story, read a story, and just benignly say, okay, it's in the news, it's okay. Don't do that. Even if you see it on a major network. Even Fox News. Don't just automatically believe what you see and hear. Because very often, it's skewed at best. In some cases, just outright lies. And there's more news regarding China, but it's back here. Our Senate, has voted to begin drafting a technology funding bill in the middle of the elite and public concerns over China's rapid advances in the world economy. Commerce Secretary Gino Raimondo held an event and in it urged legislatures to finalize a technology bill that's going to spend $52 billion or more on domestic computer chip factories that are dubbed FABs. But a prominent investor wants to add easy migration rules that would deliver more foreign graduates into the new government-funded tech jobs. Talent is everywhere. That's from Eric Schmidt, who's an investor and a former CEO at Google. He said, we need this funding bill passed, and we collectively have got to figure out a way to get it get all the really, really smart people in this area to work on this. That also, by the way, includes high-skills immigration to get people who want to work in the U.S. to work in these fabs. And the citizenry in those states are going to benefit enormously from this as well. Well, Secretary Raimondo rejected the demand diplomatically. As a former governor, I could not agree more with you about that. These are jobs, but these are good jobs, and these are jobs Americans should have. And then added, my observation is that there is broad agreement on the biggest parts of this Bipartisan Innovation Act. We'll disagree around the edges, but there's a broad agreement. The challenge is getting it done and getting it done quickly. Now, Raimondo is a leader in Biden's old left East Coast wing which wants to help raise Americans' wages. Her wing has clashed repeatedly with the White House's new left-progressive West Coast wing. The West Coast wing favors more immigrant labor and consumers for wealthy investors. It is fronted by Vice President Kamala Harris and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and is backed by Schmidt and other West Coast investors. Now who is Schmidt? He's a former CEO of Google. He's now a leading West Coast investor worth about 30 billion. He's a career advocate of high-skilled visa programs that are normally used by the Fortune 500 companies to import unskilled or mid-skilled foreign contract workers to take the career starter jobs and the lower management jobs needed by each generation of skilled U.S. graduates. The visa programs, we've talked about them here, like the H-1B visa and the optional practical training program. They've imported an army of more than a million now, a million foreign workers and managers in the technology sector. And that includes chipmaker Intel, which is the biggest chipmaker company on the planet. These visa workers are no-rights contract workers, not naturalized immigrants, so they're totally subordinate to CEOs and Schmidt's investor class. Their workplace prevents the visa workers from acting like the U.S. professionals who are educated to argue in favor of quality, long-term research, security, other vital needs, against the short-term, green, eye-shade stock market priorities that are embraced by CEOs and other executives. The bottom line, folks, see here, it always is. It's always about money. It starts there and it ends there. These CEOs, what are they the CEOs of? Massive, multi-million dollar corporations. We could name you a hundred of them if we had time. But companies like Apple, like Amazon. Like Twitter, like Facebook, all of the big tech companies, all of the big computer-related companies, they're all in this, and they need more workers as they grow their infrastructure and they build and bring new products to the marketplace. They've got to get the lowest-priced workers that they possibly can. So who do these big companies go to? Who controls what they can get, who they can get, how they can get them from overseas? You heard that gulp. That was me swallowing some water. The federal government controls it. The U.S. Congress controls it. And we have these visa programs through the generations that previous Congresses have put together to do this very same thing. In other words, hey... We're paying $100,000 for this position now. If we can bring in one of these people, they're educated at least as good as, but in many cases, in most cases, more than an American that has the same credentials. Instead of paying $100,000, we can get them in here for sixty. dollars It's all about money, folks. It has nothing to do. They try to couch it as we're the friendliest, the most Open, honest, and heart thinking people on the planet. We want to help all of these people from other countries get ahead. And the way to do that is bring them in here, let them take these jobs. Meanwhile, we have all of these techies coming out of our universities. And I mean, thousands of them come out every year. And those same jobs, the very jobs we're talking about, they're not available. They're gone. Why are they gone? Because these big corporations, looking at their bottom line, looking at a way to make more money, more profits, they want to bring in and they work through these H 1B visa programs and the optional practical training program to bring these people in. They go straight to work. For every one of them that takes one of these jobs in these big companies, an American gets put on the street. That is this government. It was the previous government, but heavily the two administrations before that, all the way back to Bush, Bush 43, Obama, both of them had eight years. They did massive immigration plans, and they brought in thousands of these people from countries around the world, principally from Southeast Asia, most of them from China, you go to the West Coast. Go to go to San Francisco. They've released a lot of the restrictions there. And uh, I was with a man last last week, a friend of mine who is a business owner in San Francisco, and he said the homeless problem has been almost eliminated. At least they're not down on the on the ocean the transportation sites and the big tech companies are located, many of them there, and south of there in Silicon Valley. He said it's much better now, but still Americans are getting uh, passed over for these jobs and nobody's doing anything about it to stop it. And the only people that can are the members of Congress. And they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars in campaign contributions from these big tech legacy companies and so what are they going to do they're not going to voluntarily bring anything up in the way of legislation to stop this because they like it they're making more money with it so they're passing along those made more dollars to a lot of these politicians that are involved in keeping it keeping the status quo in fact increasing it for them you know you we've all heard about the nuclear capabilities of Vladimir Putin. And I think probably you're like me. I, uh, I dread even the thought of that happening. I mean, literally, folks, you know, the big ICBMs in Russia, they're basically aimed at us right now. And the same holds true. We have thousands of ICBMs tipped with nuclear warheads in all kinds of launch sites, And they're aimed at Russia. You wonder what it would look like if something like that happened. And of course, we've always, we've always, that would only be a last resort. And it's been that way with Russia for generations. I guess two now. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said yesterday... Moscow is not ruling out a nuclear strike under circumstances that are outlined in its military doctrine, including if Russia faces an existential threat. Peskov was responding to a, um, anchors, a news anchor's question during an interview in which he was asked to confirm that Vladimir Putin would never use a nuclear weapon. He declined to rule out a nuclear strike while making reference to the fact that the Russian military doctrine, it allows the use of nukes under certain circumstances, even in conventional arms conflicts. He said, we have a concept of domestic security and it's public. You can read all the reasons for nuclear arms to be used. So if it is an existential threat for our country, then it can be used in accordance with our concept. Peskov was presumably referring to a presidential directive on nuclear deterrence. It was public back in June of 2020. It specifies a number of situations under which Russia can use nuclear weapons. Paragraph 19 of it stipulates the following conditions as what can resort to a nuclear strike. A. The arrival of reliable data On a launch of ballistic missiles attacking the territory, any territory in the Russian Federation. B. Use of nuclear weapons or other types of weapons of mass destruction by an adversary against the Russian Federation. C. Attack by an adversary against critical governmental military sites of the Russian Federation, or the disruption of which would undermine nuclear forces response actions. D. Aggression against the Russian Federation with the use of conventional weapons when the very existence of the state is in jeopardy. Paragraph 4 of the decree fits into what some experts have described as a Russian policy of escalating to de-escalate. It states that the potential use of nuclear weapons by Russia is guarantee. It's to guarantee the sovereignty and the territorial integrity of the state, and to stop a potential adversary from aggression against the Russian Federation and or its allies in the event of the emergence of an armed conflict by preventing the escalation of military activities and ending them on conditions acceptable to the Russian Federation. That was all one sentence. My gosh. An English grammar teacher should have gotten a hold of them. So this issue of a potential nuclear strike surged to the forefront and it's been there from the very beginning. It was whispered at first and now Putin has actually indicated he would consider it. He put his country's nuclear forces on high alert several days after ordering his troops to move against Ukraine and they stay on high alert. He said the nuclear escalation was driven by hostile comments, by leading members of NATO, and by punishing Western sanctions, which he said were like a declaration of war. We knew it was going to happen. Biden kept saying up front, you remember weeks weeks in advance of this, Biden kept saying, we're going to put egregious sanctions on Vladimir Putin personally, his big-time friends, and even his whole nation, everybody, everybody that was really breathing air over here began to ask the question of our president, well, do it, do it. And the answer always came back, well, we're not going to do it now. We're going to do it after they invade Ukraine, if that's what they're going to do. And the reason for it is to give them a reason to stop. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm not a military person. I'm not a never been a member of the military, and what I know about the military, I got from my dad and other friends that have served in the military. Former chief a, a chief administrative officer of my company retired as the director. I guess you say he was a full colonel. He was the Barksdale Air Force Base commander. Barksdale Air Force Base is the key location for the housing of B-52 bombers. So here we are, folks. It goes all the way back to the spring. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said this back then. He doesn't want to believe there would be a nuclear war over Ukraine, a statement some analysts predicted as a veiled threat. At the same time, Lavrov was pointing his finger at us of being obsessed with the theme of nuclear escalation, claiming this, and not Russia's actions, was a cause for concern. UN Secretary General said on March 14th, the prospect of nuclear conflict, once unthinkable, is now back within the realm of possibility. Not trying to scare anybody, but all I'm saying is, we're hearing more and more and more about the possible escalation of this conflict in Ukraine, to be a nuclear move. Nobody will say it's not going to happen. There are people that say it, but they're not saying it from a factual perspective. They're saying it from an emotional perspective. Nobody wants our kids, our young men and women to end up having to go fight a race, uh, fight a fight, fight a nation, fight a war, in foreign Saul. We certainly don't want it to happen here. But, folks, in the case of what we're talking about, it won't be us that starts it. It'll be Vladimir Putin. So we just keep watching him. He's watching his armies, he's watching his entire military. And he's pretty upset with what he's seeing. Since the start of the war, Ukraine, we don't hear about this, has been bombarding Russian phone numbers with text messages telling troops how to surrender. And a few days ago, a tank commander replied saying he would like to defect. After discussions with Kiev Secretary Security Services, a location was agreed. The Russian officer drove up in his tank and after a drone had flown overhead to guard against an ambush, was taken away by Ukrainian special forces. He didn't see the point of war. That's what an advisor to the Minister of Internal Affairs said, adding that all the other troops in the tank had fled home to Russia already. He could not return home because his commander told him he would shoot him dead and say he died in battle. Misha told us that he had barely any food left. The command structure was chaotic and almost absent. Morale is very, very low. Andrusev told this story yesterday on social media saying that the defector would be paid $10,000 and spend the rest of the war in comfortable conditions with a television, phone, a full kitchen, and a shower. This claim, folks, it, it, it follows a bunch of suggestions that Russia's invasion is being hampered by desertion among its troops. Many of them were drafted, and this is hindering its assault along with unexpectedly high fatalities, the fierce resistance, and failed logistics of what's happening. We're seeing cases of surrender when Russian troops voluntarily contact our military, declare that they want to give up, that they do not take part in active hostilities. That's the Minister of Internal Affairs in Ukraine. He added they were defecting with military equipment that included tanks, after realizing they were being used as cannon fodder by their commanders. Those claims are unverified, and this is a war being fought in the media almost as much as on the battlefields with their barrages of propaganda from both sides. Yet there is mounting talk of defections, desertions, and dangerously, very dangerously low morale as military machine stalls in Russia. Why don't we hear any of this this is coming from let's see where's this this is from the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom the UK. you know up at the top of uh, my screen I use an iMac here in the studio I have below it the sites that I, uh, I I put where I can just click and I go right to a story or to the main site and get the stories. I have the Daily Mail up there. I have the daily caller. Up there and several other European news sites that have information and videos in English. And it's amazing how the reporting, the news that we get out of the European sources we have for news, they don't jibe with what we're hearing in the United States. It's like they think we don't and can't communicate from overseas, that the only thing we have to determine our processes, what we're going to do, what we're going to support, what we're not going to do. It's got to be based upon what we hear from our legacy media. They don't feel the same way over there. They're going to report and say anything. And they pretty much have the right in most countries in Europe to do just that. While they're watching our rights to do that being dumbed down every day with the cooperation of the legacy media and the far left in the United States government, they're getting a big jump on a big jump on making this happen. And it's going to continue. It's going to continue. I'll give you another one, another story we're not hearing about. We are hearing some leaked stories over here coming out of some hospitals, nurses, even executives in some of the hospitals in the U.S. during the pandemic. But now it's coming out and it's being confirmed in Europe. Hospitals have been bribing, excuse me, hospitals have been being bribed by the government in the U.K. Here's what it's all about. Hospitals are being paid millions to hit targets. They have objectives of numbers of patients who die on the Liverpool Care Pathway. Liverpool Care Pathway. It's a UK Insurance for All program. The incentives have been paid to hospitals that agree to ensure a set percentage of patients who die on their wards have been put on the controversial regime of COVID-19 treatment to make sure some cases, hospitals have been set targets at between a third and two-thirds of all the deaths. They should be on this LCP, which critics say is a way of hastening the deaths of terminally ill patients. At least $30 million in extra money from taxpayers. That's an estimate to what's been handed to hospitals over the past three years to get these goals. Critics of the method warned last night that financial incentives for hospitals could influence the work of the doctors. You think? (laughs) I mean, I automatically would think everything, every death that happens on my watch, there's going to be this consideration that goes through my head. Why don't I put the official cause of death COVID-related? That way the hospital gets the extra money. The LCP involves withdrawal of life-saving treatment. This is the scary part. Patients are sedated. Most are denied nutrition and fluids by tube. On average a patient put on the pathway dies within twenty nine hours. One of the leading critics, hospital consultant, a professor, Patrick Pulicino, said, given the fact that the diagnosis of impending death is such a subjective one, putting a financial incentive in the mix is really not a good idea. It could sway the decision making process, which is exactly why it's out there. LCP is thought to be used in more than 100,000 cases a year. And we heard this story. We had this story. Same thing happening here in the United States. The CMS, this is the entity in our government that Congress hires and gives them the money to handle all of the government health care, the Veterans Affairs, Medicaid, and Medicare. Now, they use that money. They don't, they don't process all the claims themselves. They hire insurance companies around our nation, and they set all the rules and guidelines. But written into the protocol for treating COVID-19 patients is a tremendous financial benefit for hospitals, Every not those who actually have it, but every patient that they declare has COVID. While they're being treated, and they follow all the steps in the protocol of CMS, while they're being treated, these hospitals get a bump on what CMS authorized to pay for every treatment that has anything to do with COVID-19 or, and here's the kicker, COVID-19-like problems. You get paid a bunch more. In fact, it's a percentage up over the normal payment. We're finding out now, you heard yesterday, we talked about it, thousands of deaths that had been coded caused by COVID-19. The CDC threw those numbers out and said they weren't deaths from COVID-19 in actuality, even though they had been reported that way. We'll never know exactly how many people died in the pandemic from COVID-19 and complications of we, we may know some, some, uh, I would say a large majority of the numbers we have are true, but why miss a single cause of death? That's accurate, right? Why do that? And the only reason, the only explanation there, follow the money. It's all about money. Follow the money. Hey folks, Got a break here back right after this at TNN Live. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness.
3: Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes, for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Papa John is not interested in quality, he's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker, it's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online.
1: Basha. um, She's obviously, she's from Czechoslovakia, but boy, she did some really great songs back in the 90s and the early 2000s that were big hits. I just like her music. I like that sound. Well, there's a a big meeting that's coming up at NATO. That's where our president took off from, uh, 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 what do they call it now, Joint Base Andrews, headed over to Brussels, Belgium for this NATO meeting. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has issued a warning. He really, I mean, these are the, they're threatening the whole, not the earth, but the strongest military alliance on the planet. They're threatening them. Here's what he said sending NATO peacekeepers to Ukraine would lead to a direct clash between the armed forces of the Russian Federation and and NATO. Lavrov said that just a few minutes ago. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield over the weekend ruled out the possibility of the U.S. taking part in peacekeeping operations inside of Ukraine. She stated that the Biden administration is not going to send U.S. troops to the country. The President has been very clear that we will not put American troops on the ground in Ukraine, she said. We don't want to escalate this into a war with Russia, but we will support our NATO allies. Biden has made clear that if there is an attack on any of our NATO allies under Article 5, that we will support those countries and defend those countries. One Polish news outlet reportedly gained access to a secret project at Poland's Ministry of National Defense, aiming to deploy peacekeepers from a number of NATO countries to Ukraine. Warsaw is expected to officially present at the NATO summit. The U.S. will not participate but may agree to a mission involving some other countries. Lavrov's warning suggested Russia would consider the presence of NATO peacekeepers a military escalation and a cause of war against NATO. Think about that, folks. Think about it. I, a part of me has, has felt for a long time, Vladimir Putin wants to be a member of NATO. He wants the Russian Federation be a member of NATO they would never consider him because of his uh, political theology and the way he runs his country but take that out of the picture when you talk about what's going on now he's not going to be able to get into NATO he hates NATO and he is drawing a red line (laughs) like uh, Biden and Obama did in Syria you remember that the red line Basra Assad was gassing his own people, killing his own people. He did it several times, and Barack Obama very famously said, if he uses gas against his own people again, that's our red line. He didn't say what we would do, and of course Assad knew that we wouldn't do anything, and he gassed people again. Obama and Biden didn't do anything. Lavrov has put this out there. One thing I can tell you, Vladimir Putin does not fall back. He does not break a commitment. Anything that you hear him say or any of his people like Lavrov, one of his ministers say, you can bet it's going to be factual and it's going to play out the way they say it's going to play out. And in this case, if I was Joe Biden, I wouldn't put any troops on the ground. Period. We have NATO troops over there supporting. There are American troops. We have, I think, now about. Uh, I think they said we have a hundred thousand people on the ground now. At our locations over there in support of NATO. Just imagine. And Putin's looking for an excuse, folks. He is looking for an excuse to really take on the U.S. I think he wants a war with us. I think he believes he could beat us. And I don't want a war. I don't want a war with anybody. But the last country I would want to be in war with right now is Russia. Second to Russia would be China. Just my personal opinion. But I don't want any wars. Dr. Fauci has disappeared. I think he's just flat gone. I think he has been humiliated, so humiliated that his credibility is shot he doesn't have any anymore. All of the advice almost in total that he gave us throughout two years, two and a half years, most of it, well, much of it, a lot of it, far too many. far too much, has been false. And so Rand Paul has been the key uh, the key guy at pointing out the fallacies of having uh, the boss be Dr. Anthony Fauci because he's the one that's done all of this stuff that isn't true, been proven not to be true, and has hurt American people. People have died just because of the advice that Anthony Fauci gave regarding dealing with COVID-19. But there's another little uh, unexplained thing that's happening. South Korea all of a sudden is experiencing a huge wave of Omicron after a very few reported cases of COVID-19 since February of 2020. Now, there are 52 million people that live in South Korea, and as currently the country is averaging 400,000 cases per day. On March 17th, the number of reported cases rose by 55% to 621,000, with 429 dead in the same 24-hour period. Now, this is noteworthy. To put into context how big this outbreak is, one South Korean outlet news outlet stated that it is the equivalent of 2.5 million cases per day in the U.S. if it was adjusted for our population. The highest number of Omicron cases in the U.S. last year, you remember, was 800,000 a day. So South Korea is currently experiencing nearly three times the number of cases per capita. Though South Korea did not lock down as heavily as we did here in some other countries, health authorities there were quick to implement technologies for contact tracing and constant testing at the very beginning of the pandemic, which is likely why their case numbers were so low between February of 2020 and January of this year. This sudden surge is being blamed on the country rolling back their pandemic measures over the last few weeks. They are experiencing relatively few fatalities from Omicron, with a current death rate of only 0.14%. More than 85% of South Korea's population are fully vaxxed, and children ages 5 to 11 will start to be vaxxed at the end of this month. Cases of COVID are spiking across Asia, other countries, as well as a growing mental health crisis. Hong Kong reported the world's highest death rate per capita from the virus, as hospitals and morgues are overflowing with bodies left unattended, some in rooms with other patients, or even in the middle of hallways. Isn't it interesting how this all plays out? It goes from place to place, section of the world by section of the world. And it's been pretty much a wave that goes east to west, pretty much when uh, a big slam of cases starts over in uh, Southeast Asia. That would be Malaysia and China, Japan, Korea, South Korea over there. When it starts over there, it typically heads this way. But the numbers of cases and subsequent fatalities can vary, and it is varying largely because of the other stuff that's being done or not being done. And I'll just tell you this, I'll make a prediction. If any of this shows up over here, this uh, stuff that's happening in South Korea, the way it's happening, don't think for a second this government, even in the face of the economic issues we're facing now, I mean, we're, we're talking about $6 per gallon of gas today in parts of California, $6. It's untenable that this could be happening and knowing that it didn't have to happen. And on top of that, knowing that our present president won't do anything about it, won't even reverse what he did that started this whole slide in energy dependence. Watch and see what happens if we start having case increases at a uh, maybe not an enormous rate, but a race that uh, we haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time. We're not very creative here in the United States when it comes to things like medical care. And this administration has flatly refused to look to Europe and Asia and watch how they treat those cases there and see what's worked the best there, bringing it here. We just created our own deal. Fauci was the god that did it, and we just run it out and do it the way we think it should be done, regardless of the results. And we should be watching the way they do it over there and make our decisions based on their successes or failures. But we don't.
0: It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network.
3: What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Ah, luxury.
2: The aroma is full bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine. And the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice, select your infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to luxurytesttour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more.
1: I like that song. I liked it when it came out. Cisco Kid. You're a Cisco Kid. Was a friend of mine. Well, we were just talking about um, Dr. Fauci. Did you know that we have, in the United States, we now have a new COVID God? Hang on, I just lost a dadgum story. This has been one of those days. We have a whole show, and when we go to load it in the studio, we don't get it back. I'm going to find this one. You're going to bear with me because I know you want to know what's going on. Let me see if I can find the new, the story of uh, the new COVID God. No explanation for Fauci leaving. Just he's gone and we got a new one. Let me do a search real quick. Bear with me. New COVID director for Biden. Let's see. Let's see if it pops back up. Yeah, we got it here. His name is Jeff Zients. Jeff Zients. Um, Let's see. Jeff Zients is checking out. I'm sorry. White House COVID-19 response coordinator is now Dr. Ashish Jha. That's spelled J-H-A. The White House says the change comes at a new moment in the pandemic. I thought we were out of the pandemic. I didn't think we were in one, adding that uh, the deputy, Natalie Quillen, that was there are leaving, and they're leaving behind an infrastructure that is ready to continue delivering high protection and response to future variants if needed. Ja is a practicing physician. Previously, nobody that has been in that role or even the role above that, which would be Fauci. They didn't treat COVID patients, but yet they're telling us how to live, right? He led Ja, this new guy, led research around Ebola and has been involved in the COVID-19 response by advising state and federal officials on pandemic preparedness. He was named the Dean of the Brown School of Public Health after he led Harvard Global Health Institute and teaching at Harvard and Harvard Med School. He previously was a general internist in Massachusetts. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, we've had um, we've had people leaving, people getting sent away, people quitting, but nothing like what has happened in the uh, the uh, the operations in the vice president's office. Do you know that the number of people of employees that have left Kamala Harris's operations is now at ten? Ten people have left. And everybody's saying, what's going on? What's wrong with her? Why is everybody leaving? There are a bunch of different reasons. Some of it could be based on the fact that her numbers of popularity are in the tank. Could be because of that. It could be because people are just looking for a way out. Typically in politics, what happens is when they're working, and remember this, political workers. In most cases, these are people that want to work in politics and so when it comes time to, to um, determine what's best for you in your career, if you're working for a uh, politician and things aren't going well or their uh, re-election um, possibilities are, are bleak, you'll start looking for a job, jumping ship. So we understand that what's going on in in what's going on for Harris is they just don't like working with her. Um, That things aren't going well and they know, or they're pretty sure they're confident. There's not going to be a uh president Kamala Harris or even a vice president Kamala Harris, depending on who and what happens in the 2024 general election. And so they're, they're bailing out. But when they, when they came out, there's a book that's out this 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 week. It was written by one of those that left. And some of the reasons that they were leaving was because Kamala Harris was an ogre. Everything in her campaign when she ran for president, even back as far as when she ran for office in California, the people that worked with her, she was a diva. She didn't bring a lot to the table. She treated people like crap and she didn't look at and deal with any of the issues. She always had somebody there, and she liked them. If she liked them, you were going to be in good stead with her, and you were going to get all the perks and all of the opportunities that came up. You would get the, the good travel to travel with her wherever she went, all those kind of things. Little things is, seem to be the thing that drives these people away from her now, in her operation as VP, little things like one of the big things that was revealed in the book. She griped constantly to her staff about the fact that whenever there was a public appearance that involved Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when the president walked into the room, wherever this appearance was going to take place, everybody just automatically stood up. But she couldn't understand why when she walked into the room, Nobody stood up. And basically what that was, was wha, wha, <laughs> They don't like me, and it's not fair. I'm the vice president, and I think they ought to treat me appropriately. What she doesn't understand is respect is something that you can't force. Nobody could make anybody like her. Hey, folks, that's a wrap. Thank you today for being a part of this. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: I always thought that I could make it on my own. But since you left, I hardly make it through the day. My tears get in the way, and I need you back to stay. I wander through the Find the words to make it right. All I want is just the way it used to be. With you here close to me, I've
3: got to make you see.